The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. It's like a good two minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here. WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. If you want to reach out, get a part of the show, you can. Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Patriots broadcaster Bob Sosi is going to join us in 15 minutes. So uh, pumped to talk to Bob about the 4-6 and six Patriots. What does he see heading into Arizona? What did he see coming out of Houston? All of that and the full show after the fact will be available on our Brady Farkas Show podcast page. So you can subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, WDEVradio.com. We've also got a lot of exclusive stuff there that we put from time to time. So college basketball expert Kevin Sweeney joined me earlier today, so that will be up on the podcast page. We talked a lot about UVM, about Anthony Lamb, and much more. The show is sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. So tomorrow... Our pre-Thanksgiving show is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do a a hodgepodge of topics. Celtics, Red Sox, UVM. Today, a lot of Patriots. Tomorrow, a smattering, a smorgasbord in honor of of Thanksgiving. Smorgasbord? Smorgasbord? I don't know. Smorgasbord. A smorgasbord of everything. That's what we're going to do tomorrow. Today, we stay focused with a lot of Patriots. So my question to you to start the show is this. And I'm going to need your help. So reach out to me on Twitter. Again, at WDEV Radio Brady. I'm going to need your input. Let's just assume this. I'm wa- this came to me yesterday as I'm watching Tom Brady in Monday Night Football. Let's just assume that the Patriots would be 4-6 and six no matter what. Every The record is the exact same. Would you rather be 4-6 and six with Cam Newton, what you're watching now, or would you rather be 4-6 and six with Tom Brady? Because there are people out there that just wanted to see Brady retire as a Patriot no matter what. And they, if they were going down, they wanted to go down with Tom. They didn't care. I'm here to tell you that I would disagree with those people. If the team was going to be 4-6, and because I'm watching Brady yesterday throw two picks and misread coverages and throw some errant passes and think, you know what? I do think that he would be an upgrade over Cam Newton, but I'm not sure it's a huge upgrade anymore. So I'm just so I'm saying the records are equal. They'd be 4-6 and no matter what. Who would you rather have? 4-6 and with your hero of 20 years or 4-6 and with a newcomer off the street? And I'd rather be 4-6 and six with the newcomer off the street. I really would. And I'm not saying that to be contrary. I'm not saying that to be hot take guy. I'm saying that because I'm sentimental. I'm emotional. I am a probably a soft sports fan. I don't have it in me to be cutthroat. It would hurt me to see Tom Brady go 4-6 and six in a Patriots uniform. It would hurt me. In some ways, it would hurt more to see him be bad as a Patriot than it is to see him not be a Patriot at all. Really. In some ways, it would hurt me more to see him struggle as a Patriot, to see him be bad as a Patriot, to see him labor around as a Patriot. It would hurt more than him just leaving. It it really would. I mean, don't get it twisted. I thought the Patriots did Brady wrong. I would have loved to see them bring him back. I think they owed that to him. 
But if all things were equal, if the record was equal, the players are the same, the record's equal, they're both four and six, I'd much rather see it with Cam because it would hurt too much to see it with Tom Brady. I wouldn't want to see that. You hear it all the time, the story of the athlete who holds on too long and goes somewhere else and struggles. Okay, Joe Namath is a Charger, and Willie Mays is a Giant, as a, you know, as a Met rather, not the Giants, but as a Met. Um, Ken Griffey, when he went to the White Sox, you hear about these athletes that they hold on too long. Michael Jordan is the Wizards, although Jordan was still pretty good as a Wizard, but these athletes that hang on too long and they're just not the same. In some ways, in a lot of ways, it hurts more to see him hang on too long with your team. Because not only are they not like you remembered them, they're not like you remembered them playing for your team. At least with Tom Brady now, we can remember that he went out winning a Super Bowl his second to last year and getting to the playoffs in his last year with New England. No, they didn't win. Yes, his last pass was a pick six. That's bad enough. But slowly that will fade over time. He ended his Patriots career as a division champion, Two years removed from a Super or a year removed from a Super Bowl champion, and that's good enough for me. I would not want to see him be four and six with New England. If they finish six and ten, I don't want to think about Tom Brady that he hung on too long. If he doesn't play well in Tampa, I can blame it on the coach. I can blame it on the fit. I can blame it on this, that, or the other. But if it happened in New England, I'd have to blame it on Tom, and I don't want to do that. I'm too sentimental. I'm too emotional. I have grown to like Cam Newton. I really have. But he's a footnote in Patriots history. Even if he's here for multiple years, he's a footnote. It would be hard to watch your hero. It would be hard to watch the golden boy. It would be hard to watch your biggest franchise icon ever. It would be hard to watch him struggle and hard to watch him lead this team to a mediocre record. I do think Brady would be an upgrade over Cam, given his familiarity with the coaching staff, with the offense, and with some of the personnel. I believe that. But after what I saw yesterday, overthrow, underthrow, not on the same page as wideouts, star wideouts, I, I don't know that this team is eight and three without, you know, or eight and two with Tom Brady and not Cam Newton. I don't know that. In fact, I would say, you know what, they're a lot closer to four and six with Brady than they are eight and two. They're seven and four in Tampa and his team is completely loaded. So if they're 7-4 and four with that team, I don't expect that they're going to be a wholly better, you know, that he's going to be wholly better with New England and make them all of a sudden 8-2. and two. If they're going to be average or they're going to be below average, I'd rather it happen this way. Because seeing Tom Brady play like this or see Tom Brady subjected to this would just cause me pain. Fandom pain is what it would cause me. And also... Given who Brady is and given how contentious he can be and given how competitive he is, if it did happen where he was in New England and 4-6, and six, I think it would be a, a very, very um, difficult situation. And that would be hard to watch too because I could see Brady being moody. I could see Brady, Brady being angry. I could see Brady being... Um, combative on the sideline with his teammates that's not that's not an image that I need either I need you know we wanted it to be like John Elway John Elway plays for the Broncos his whole career goes out Super Bowl champion that's the idea that's the gold standard 
Then you get Peyton Manning, who, yeah, he left the team, but he still ended on a great note. He ended with a Super Bowl championship. Brady ended in Foxborough a year removed from a title, won a division, got to the playoffs, was still pretty good. We can blame a lot of the other stuff on lack of personnel, injuries, etc. That that's good that, that's a good enough ending spot for me. If he came back on the team's four and six, six and ten, average, he struggles, that that would be more hurtful than him leaving. I, I'm too I'm just soft like that. I'm I'm just sensitive like that. I don't want to see Brady put in that position because I know it would cause me it would cause the legacy to be hindered a little bit and it would cause his mood to be hindered which would ultimately cause a problem as well. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. On that note, we go to Hot Seat of the Week. Hot Seat of the Week. The Hot Seat of the Week is apparently Tom Brady's ability to read coverage because his head coach, Bruce Arians, says Brady is getting confused at times with coverage. Says he doesn't see that at all in practice because we don't miss the deep ball in practice, that's for sure. Now I have to separate my Tom Brady fandom, my Patriots fandom, from my from my head here. From I got to separate my head from my heart. I don't feel particularly bad for Brady in 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 this whole thing. He chose a head coach who's nearly seventy years old, who's also stubborn, just like the coach that he left behind in Foxborough. This is who Bruce Arians is. This is his offense. You throw a lot and you throw deep. That is not what Brady has done ever. Brady has always been surgical, methodical. Third and four, we get six. Third and two, we get four. We take a shot off play action occasionally. I mean, Tom Brady threw nine passes yesterday, 15 yards or more. That's not who Tom Brady is. Nine passes, 15 yards or more. He was one for nine. That's who Bruce Arians is. I don't feel bad that Brady is stuck now playing an offense that doesn't suit his talents. He chose that offense. He knew this coach. He knew that Bruce Arians wasn't going to bend over backwards to appease him. He knew that he was, Brady's always says, I'm just one of the guys. He knew he was going to have to be one of the guys and fall in line with what Bruce Arians wanted to do, and that is what Bruce Arians wanted to do. Throw the ball often and throw it down the field. He also knew, I mean, he knew that was an expectation. He saw, go to Pro Football Reference, you can look it up, Jameis Winston, most interceptions of his career with Bruce Arians. Andrew Luck, most interceptions of his career with Bruce Arians. Ben Roethlisberger, most interceptions of his career with Bruce Arians. When you play for Bruce Arians, you sign up to throw it often and throw it down the field. That That's what he signed up for. He also signed up for these weapons, this cast of characters, because he thought that would make him successful. So if he can't get on the same page with Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or Ronald Jones, or Leonard Fournette, or Antonio Brown, or whoever, he signed up for that. These are guys he thought were better than New England Patriots players. And skill-wise, he's obviously right that they are. He signed up for this. He's got to be able to navigate this. So if it's not working, or if it doesn't feel right, or there's a disconnect, I don't feel bad. You put yourself in this situation. If the marriage isn't working, you chose to enter the marriage. That was that that was your call. You could have tried to force the issue to stay in Foxborough. You could have gone somewhere else potentially. You didn't. You went here. I don't feel bad that it's not necessarily working. And also, by the way, as much as it's Arian's offense, the team has given Brady free reign to pick some of the personnel. He brought Gronk back. He brought Antonio Brown back. He wanted Leonard Fournette. 
he has handpicked guys. So as much as Arian's system is part of this, and it'd be a better it'd be better for Brady if there was a mesh point between what Brady used to do and what Arians has always done, that there would be there would be a happy medium there that would be better. But as much as that's the case, as much as Arians is stubborn, well, then Brady needs to take some ownership because he created some of this also. His guys are there. Fournette, Brown, Gronk, he chose all of them. So as much as I would feel bad if Tom Brady was leading the Patriots to a 4-6 and six record, I don't feel bad that this is going on in Tampa, that his coach is calling him out, that his coach has called him out now multiple times. He can't read coverage. He's missing passes, poor decisions. This is routine now from Bruce Arians. Tom Brady knew this. He knew that this is who Bruce Arians was. He knew that this is what Bruce Arians' offense was. And he knew that in his offense he was going to throw a lot, potentially get hit, and throw it down the field. His numbers might be skewed towards a lot of touchdowns, but also a lot of picks. And he knew that with new wide receivers in a pandemic, he was going to have to try to gain chemistry that right now isn't always there. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. From Tom's new team, back to Tom's old team. Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots. He called the game against the Texans. He calls all the games. Called the game against Houston. What were his takeaways? Is he as harsh on them as I was yesterday? Bob Sosi, voice of the Pats, joins us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The man who's called three Super Bowl championships. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the red arm. The man who can take us closer to the action than anyone else. Brady throws it to the end zone for Ken Brown Tompkins. Leaping. He calls it. Touchdown. It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I'm still not over it. Patriots 27-20 loss to the Texans, now 4-6, and six, bringing a guy who had a first-row virtual seat for the game, Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, joins us every single Tuesday at this time. Bob, how are you? I'm good, Brady. I'm good. I'm trying to get over it as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's on the Arizona. And Kyler Murray, Larry Fitzgerald, and DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, it's certainly not going to get easier. It is the week of Thanksgiving, so let me be the first to wish you and your actual family and your Patriots family happy Thanksgiving. Pats have never played on Thanksgiving since you've been the voice of the team. You missed the butt fumble by one year, as I recall. I think that was 2012. You got the job in 2013. So I can only imagine what the Bob Sosi butt fumble call would have sounded like. I missed it, but I've relived it many times since. (laughs) I don't doubt that. Um, All right, let's get to less happy thoughts. Patriots lose to the Texans. 2720. Bob, it's hard for me to ever criticize coaching because I'm not an NFL coach, but I do question the Patriots' game plan. They stopped running the football. Damian Harris only got six carries after the first series, and they didn't get any pressure on Deshaun Watson. Somewhere I think there's a coaching disconnect in what happened on Sunday. Well, a couple of things regarding running the football. They carried it five times, speaking of Damian Harris individually for 25 yards on the first scoring drive, their first possession of the game. I think he had eight rushes for 36 on their first two series, and then he carried it only one more time the rest of the first half. Now, he had gone into the game with recent injuries, an ankle injury and a chest injury, but afterwards Bill Belichick said 
injuries did not play any role in the play calling. Subsequently, Belichick in a local radio interview in Boston said that they were having success throwing the ball. Now, you look at the numbers going in, the strength of the Patriots, the running game, the glaring weakness overwhelmingly for the Texans not being able to defend the run. You look at the Texans' strength offensively, big plays in the passing game, and you look at what the Patriots have not been able to do this year, really unlike in any time that I've been calling the games defensively, and that's prevent big plays. So to me, ultimately what the game came down to is the Texans being able to play to their strengths consistently, and the Patriots being unable or at least unwilling to play to their strengths throughout the game. And, and, and again, that most pronounced strength was being able to run the ball. They did throw it a lot better. They got more people involved as receivers. Demir Bird had an enormous game. They got a big play in the passing game with that 42-yarder to Bird for the touchdown pass. But still for this Patriots offense, it's, it's grinded out. It's long drives, four of the scoring drives, 10 plays or more. Uh, actually, four drives, 10 plays or more. And one of them, they didn't score any points on. Their last two possessions, uh, they had the ball for 12 and a half minutes and yeah. got only a field goal out of those. Uh, now, you could say, you, you know, if you run the ball, you're going to consume a lot of time. But I just I, w- I was a bit surprised as well because I thought they were really establishing the run right out of the gate. And again, for a couple of series, got completely away from it uh, in the second quarter. And the other part of that, too, Brady, is that it allowed the Texans to build that two score lead. You know, the yeah. combination of the Patriots poor play defensively uh, with the inability to drive the ball after they took the 10 seven advantage uh, with a field goal by folk. So once the Texans got up by two score, that alters your thinking as a play caller, not that it necessarily should that early in the game, but I think it often does. You know, I don't know that it's fair to say this because I don't know what the effects of coronavirus are, but I know that Cam Newton has been a much better player as he, the further removed he's gotten from coronavirus. But so I feel like in some way, I've been sapped of being able to truly evaluate Cam. I don't know if he had some physical limitations coming back from the virus or just he missed practice and was rusty and it took him some time to get his groove going again. But I feel like there's a three- to four-week period that I kind of have to throw out, and I still don't quite know what Cam is. Do you see it that way too? In, 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 in a way, I do. I think that there are a number of factors even predating the COVID diagnosis and, and a positive test and his absence. To me, you look at the circumstances surrounding his signing. It's a big shift for him going from what the Panthers did predominantly during his career there with Mike Shula to what the Patriots tried to do. And he had to make that transition in a very condensed time. He didn't sign until July. Again, it wasn't a typical training camp, no preseason games. Uh, Preston to duty uh, you know, almost immediately as the starting quarterback of the team and, and still trying to uh, immerse himself. And also, you know, he's a guy who brings with him this decade long resume in the NFL, but also a decade long uh, muscle memory and yep. way of doing things mechanically. Now, the Patriots get the good start with the first two games offensively running against Miami and then passing versus Seattle. But then, like you said, there's that huge absence. And whether it was a physical effect or being away from the team, which is, I think, what he essentially said this past week, it was just not being present, not being able to do things to stay, you know, up to speed. But they didn't evolve the offense for a period of time. They had to kind of go back, it seemed to me, to ground zero. And he reverted to a lot of those poor mechanics and bad habits of the past. And they're still trying to work their way through that part 
of the equation while at the same time looking to evolve the offense. And I think the thing about passing the ball versus running, I think to be successful down the stretch this season, to win more games, they're going to have to be more than one-dimensional offensively. And you yeah. can't just rely on handing the ball off to Damian Harris and throwing it to Jacoby Myers. So you can kind of understand you know, the desire by the coaches to try to evolve the game plan and do more, and they had success doing it for the most part against the Texans, just didn't do it enough stalled out drives, some bad mistakes. They, they had a lot of negative plays on first down yeah. uh, that really set them back. Poor starting field position. So, But I, I think you have to take – Belichick always talks about the mosaic, the whole mosaic of the Cam Newton experience into account. And I still think that there's no decision made definitively on his future as a Patriot, whether it ends at the end of 2020 or continues beyond. Because I think that – they have to evaluate them the same way that we're talking about. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bob, I'm devastated for Rex Burkhead. Listeners of this area know my affinity for him. He has been my favorite Patriot to watch for the last few years. What this does do, I think, in my opinion, is open up the last great chance for Sony Michelle to make an impression in New England. He's trying to play for that fifth-year option to get exercised. If that doesn't get exercised, he's trying to show off film for other teams subsequently in the future. How important now is this time for Sonny Michel the rest of the season? Well, we've been waiting for Sonny Michel to evolve his game, and we thought we saw a couple of signs of it you know, in the preseason going back to last year. Yeah. And uh, periodically, I think there have been a couple of games where the Patriots – did throw you know the, the a screen his way or use him a little bit in the passing game these last uh, couple of seasons. Again, he's had very limited time on the field this year. Uh, they're going to have to evolve his role and or Damian Harris's role and have them uh, be more of a presence. I think in the passing game because you you can't just rely on James White with the way their offense is. So it's going to be interesting to me to see if Sony Michelle. When he does come back on the field, he was inactive, of course, after being placed back on the 53-man roster uh, for the game on Sunday against Houston. Do we see more of what a lot of people expected, if not all expected, when he came out of Georgia, which was to be kind of a dual threat back? He made a lot yeah. of big plays for the Bulldogs, both as a runner and a receiver. And we haven't really seen that latter part as a Patriot. But you're right. This is an opportunity for him. And it's not only for New England, but it's for the 31 other teams. Although, you know, this is a guy that I think still has to has a role. Backs, backs go down. He's been yeah. hurt a lot. Harris has been hurt a lot. Unfortunately, I echo your sentiments with Rex Burkett. He's a great guy off the field, certainly a very popular teammate and just a great patriot. I think somebody who fit very well and did so many things that could easily go unnoticed consistently well, whether in special teams or as a runner and a receiver. And it always seemed to me like the la- this, 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 this year especially, when they needed a key first down, they needed some tough yards uh, in a third down so- spot, and, and you know the, he was the guy who came through, and of course he was the touchdown leader. Yeah, I, I love Rex Burkett. I'm going to miss him. Met him at the Super Bowl a couple of times, one of my favorite people Good to man. talk to. I'll get you out of here on this. I, I may be stupid, but I just can't quit the drug of hope when it comes to the Patriots here. I saw them shut down Lamar Jackson, and I saw Seattle's often awful defense shut down Kyler Murray. I think they got a chance to bottle up Kyler Murray, and I think they're going to win this game. But I, I just can't quit this team. I don't know if I'm a moron. Well, I think you can't ever give up on, on the Patriots under Bill Belichick because they've been competitive in every game except for the San Francisco game. Yeah, And I think you look at Arizona coming east – 
Murray's got a shoulder issue. We're going to find out a lot more about that as the week goes along. He's a dynamic young player. He's extremely fast. Some guys say, who've played against him have said he's the fastest guy in the league. Uh, he's certainly uh, has a knack of of coming up with with the, the play and then the in the, yeah. the clutch as he did. You know, I, I think we look at the Hopkins catch. I'm I, I marvel at both ends of that Hale Murray, the catch by Hopkins, surrounded by three Buffalo Bills, but also Murray's ability to to get outside, escape the pressure, and then as he's falling to his left out of bounds to be able to throw the ball with just the right trajectory to get it on target and give DeAndre Hopkins the opportunity to make that play. Uh, He's got a coach who's a very uh, innovative offensive play caller. I think it's going to be a very difficult matchup for the Patriots because Arizona's good defensively, too. That gets overlooked. I think it's a much better Arizona uh, team all around than, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of people uh, appreciate or understand. Now, that being said, Patrick Peterson's not the same guy he was, and, and we're going to see the Patriots, of course, test that front for the Cardinals. But Buda Baker's a really fun player to watch on the defensive side. So to me, I think it's a really tough game, Brady, but I also believe that, you know, this Patriots team still has a lot of character. I mean, the one thing about Newton, and, uh, you know, I look back at last week, for example, uh, he's been getting hammered continually uh, locally by some. And I think that I see the flaws. There were a lot of, there were some hidden yards there, the batted down passes, uh, balls that were thrown low that either prevented completions or yards after catch. But the real story was Deshaun Watson in that yeah. game. And somehow, some way, the Patriots have got to be able to apply some pressure on Kyler Murray and keep him contained as opposed to with Watson, where they got no pressure whatsoever. They had sacked him three, uh, eight times in the previous three games. Then I had two quarterback hits on him. He was standing back there, there and, and throwing lasers and darts all over the field. A phenomenal performance by him, and I think that was the biggest story of the game on Sunday. So they've got to be a lot better against Kyler Murray. They do have to be a lot better. I don't know if I'm crazy or not, but I can't quit the Patriots. So I think the Patriots are going to win. So Bob Sosi, voice I of the Patriots. I, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm stupid or optimistic or what, but uh, I'm feeling it. So, Bob, we appreciate your time. As always, look forward to hearing you and Zoe on the call on our station, uh, 10 a.m. on Sunday against the Cardinals at the pregame, 1 o'clock with the kickoff. And, Bob, have a great Thanksgiving to you and yours. Thank you. Thank you, Brady. You too. All right. Appreciate it. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us every single week. We'll step aside. I'll get my full takeaways. And also, nobody can fairly evaluate Cam Newton. I'll tell you more about that. It's coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Patriots voice Bob Sosi for joining us. Joins us every single Tuesday at 545. That interview will be available shortly on the Brady Farkas Podcast Show page. We'll get to our takeaways here momentarily. But, uh, you know, I continue to think about this. We started to hit on this yesterday a little bit. I'm kind of want to fully vet this out today. Nobody knows with Cam Newton. We are... 10 games into the Patriots season and we still don't have an idea on what Cam Newton's future is. And it's not just me and it's not just you. It's the experts that don't know either. I'm going to play you two sound bites from the exact same radio show in which the hosts have completely differing opinions on what Cam Newton is. ESPN radio this morning, Jay Williams, morning show radio host. He thinks Cam is done. 
The, the question is, though, <laughs> as they continue to move along, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And I unfortunately feel like this will be the last time we will see Cam as a starter. I, I think Cam, I'm not sure it's going to work out with the Patriots long term. They're going to get through this season. I already look at this team as a, a team that is trying to rebuild. So Jay Williams says they're rebuilding. Cam's done as a starter. He's not in New England anymore next year. Keyshawn Johnson, who is you know 10 feet away from him in the same studio, he thinks Cam could absolutely have a long-term future in Foxborough. Um, I don't think that they've soured on Cam to the point where they wouldn't bring Cam back. I, I think Bill in the organization is smart enough to know that they don't have a whole lot of talent. And a couple key pieces on their defense has opted out that they get those guys back. I think they look at that opposed to, okay, it's been a bad year. He's no good. Let's get rid of him. Let's go find another guy. I think they're smart enough to know what they have. So two smart people, two professional athletes with two completely differing opinions on Cam Newton. We're 10 weeks into the season. We would have liked to know by now. But I feel like I've been robbed so far of a chance to fairly evaluate Cam. And I think I thought going into the season that whoever the Patriots quarterback, I was going to have a hard time fairly evaluating. Even if it had been Stidham, I would have said, hey, they don't have a lot of talent. Like, they surrounded him with garbage. So how do I really know what Stidham is considering who he's playing with? And then because of Cam and because of his name recognition, I kind of let that thought go when I shouldn't have. Cam Newton has had the deck stacked against him for a while now in Foxborough. Okay, He loses his security blanket of a defense. Multiple starters opt out. So the defense, which was supposed to be the calling card of this team, which was supposed to be able to cover up for some warts and kind of help guide Cam through things, that gets gutted. Dante Hightower's gone. Patrick Chung is gone. They lose, And then they also lost out on some their own free agents that they just let go. But Cam's security blanket, the number one defense in the league, was supposed to be there, and it gets gutted. He doesn't have that anymore. Then he doesn't get a true offseason. He gets a late offseason where he doesn't even get the virtual portion of minicamp or OTAs or anything. I mean, he doesn't sign until July. And then he doesn't get a preseason. And then he contracts coronavirus. And no matter what your actual view of COVID is, it affected him in my mind in some way. It may have affected him physically, and he's not going to tell you that because he's not making excuses, but I look at Cam Newton now, and I look at Cam Newton against Denver and against San Francisco, and I see a totally different energy level. So I'm not going to have reckless speculation because I'm not a doctor, but I see a very different player multiple weeks removed from his COVID diagnosis. But even if it's not physical, just the mental aspect, the team-building aspect, the playbook-studying aspect, the talking-with-coaches aspect, he didn't get all of that. He's absent from practice for two weeks. His season has been disjointed and disrupted. And I know in the NFL you plan on that for injuries, and, and that's, a, that's a regular thing, but this year it just feels different. When you don't get an offseason, and when you don't get preseason, and when you have to miss a, a, a huge chunk of practice and games as a result of coronavirus, I have to think that that has an effect on you. And therefore, like I feel like there's this whole gap in the season that I can't account for with Cam. Early season, plays pretty well against Miami and Seattle. Then he gets COVID, doesn't play against the Chiefs, so I can't evaluate that game because he doesn't play. Then 
they play against San Francisco and they get blown out. And Cam's lethargic and he's out of it. It doesn't look right. And now I think, okay, I can't really use that. Denver, same thing, doesn't look right. Then they play against Buffalo and Cam plays a lot better. They lose, but Cam plays better. Then a couple of wins, right? Cam also played against the Raiders, by the way, and got a win also. But and he played, you know, he played okay in that game. But I just feel like there's this large portion of the schedule here, this three to four week gap where I can't use any of that data. So I still don't know because the data that I feel like I can fairly evaluate, Cam's actually looked relatively good to very good in. Looked very good against Seattle. Looked very good against Houston in a lot of ways. And it's unfair. And they're professional athletes. So just because they're pro athletes doesn't mean they can't be victims of circumstance too. Cam Newton is a victim of circumstance. The coronavirus pandemic and his inability to get in quickly and his inability to have a preseason and his inability to work out in the proper way and him contracting COVID, all of it matters. Just because he's a pro athlete doesn't mean he's immune from the same inconveniences that we are from, you know, that, that, that we have endured because of the pandemic. And I thought all along that lack of weapons was going to matter to whoever the quarterback is, but you look at other teams with young quarterbacks or new quarterbacks and they all have something. The Patriots didn't ever get Cam or anybody else that something. He's made it work with Jacoby Myers. He's made it work with Demir Bird. But he doesn't have Keenan Allen like Justin Herbert does. He doesn't have Austin Eckler like Justin Herbert does. He didn't draft a high wide receiver like the Bengals did with T. Higgins for Joe Burrow. He didn't have a dynamic running back for a bunch of the year like Burrow did with Joe Mixon. He didn't have that stuff. So Cam has been limited in a lot of different ways, and it's been hard to fairly evaluate him. I mean, and don't think that money doesn't matter here. Money always matters here. Cam Newton is outproducing his contract. His contract is $1 million. Because of his name recognition, people are expecting him, and I've been guilty of this too. They've been expecting him to contribute at a $27 million a year level. He's making $1 million. He is overperforming for his contract, and therefore we all as fans should be happy about that and thinking about if you move forward with Cam, well, what is his true market value? You just want to play to his market value, play to his contract level. He's overperforming right now. Okay, if it was a if the Red Sox brought up a minor leaguer and he hit two sixty five, you'd say, you know what? Not bad for a minor leaguer who's never played before making minimum wage. Not bad. If a guy's making three hundred and forty mil and he hits two sixty five with no power, you'd be crushing him. Cam is playing way above his contract right now. So we gotta give him credit for that in a way that we haven't really given him credit before. Right now, he's valued as a $1 million quarterback. He's playing better than that. But nobody can give the definitive answer on him. The Patriots, as far as I'm concerned, they do need to draft a quarterback, whether Cam's back or not. They need to draft a quarterback next year. But you start to look around the NFL and wonder, who is better than Cam right now? Okay, Is it Carson Wentz in a trade and his massive contract? I would say no. I mean, Carson Wentz is making $25-plus plus million. He's not better than Cam, comparatively. Is it Mitch Trubisky in free agency? I don't think he's an upgrade. Andy Dalton? I don't think he's an upgrade. Are you really going to trade in division for Sam Darnold if they get Trevor Lawrence? The Jets are going to gouge you to death, and I don't think you're going to end up with him either. So when you think about Cam, 
I can't give you a definitive answer on what he's looked like because I have that gap in the middle of the season. But I also can't tell you that there's some better option waiting here. They need to draft a quarterback no matter what. But if my choices are Sam Darnold in a in a price-gouging trade, Mitch Trubisky, Andy Dalton, and trade for Carson Wentz's contract, I'm starting to rethink my idea that Cam's not the guy because he just might be the only guy that's in their price range and I got to assume he's going to be better in year two. I mean, him in year two is going to be better than Trubisky in year one. So it's just the dichotomy of Cam and the thought process around Cam is uh, is certainly still a fascinating debate. But 10 weeks into the season, or 11 weeks into the season, 10 games into the season, I would have liked to know. To Cam's credit, he continues to say all the right things. Man, I have interest in, in, in winning the Arizona Cardinals game. How about that? <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that, I mean, I, I don't want to even harp or dwell or even think. I think my, 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 as the Bible says, my cup is runneth over it, you know, with just trying to focus on, you know, the, the, the near future rather than the far future. I mean, Cam's saying all the right things. He doesn't, no, he says it in a funny way. He says it in an interesting way, a philosophical way. But he's saying the right things. He's worried about now. He's not worried about later. And that's what he needs to because worrying about now might get him to later. But Cam is trying to play one week at a time. He's saying all the right things that an athlete should say and all the right things that a Patriots athlete should say. We just all wish that at this point in the year we had the answer. I asked Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, a little while ago, do you feel like I feel? Do you feel robbed at all? by not being able to see Cam in the entirety of a normal season? In, 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 in a way, I do. I think that there are a number of factors even predating the COVID diagnosis and, and a positive test and his absence. To me, you look at the circumstances surrounding his signing. It's a big shift for him going from what the Panthers did predominantly during his career there with Mike Shula to what the Patriots tried to do. And he had to make that transition in a very condensed time. He didn't sign until July. Again, it wasn't a typical training camp. No preseason games. It echoes what we just said. The voice of the team is telling you that you feel like you've been robbed of something. I want to evaluate Cam Newton at his best. And I was never going to see his best under these circumstances. And I'm therefore, I'm never going to feel like I truly know what he is or what the Patriots have. It's hard. Even for as good as these athletes are or as good as coaches are, when you go to a new situation, especially a situation like this, it's hard to make it click right away. Here are the records of new coaches in the NFL this year. Mike McCarthy, 3-7. and seven. Joe Judge, 3-7. and seven. Matt Rule, 3-7. and seven. Ron Rivera, 3-7. and seven. Kevin Stefanski, 7-3. and three. He is the outlier. Stefanski in Cleveland, he's the outlier. The other four coaches are a combined 12-28. and 28. So when new coaches, not named Kevin Stefanski, new coaches this year in the middle of a pandemic without the proper offseason or without the usual offseason, they're 12-28. and 28. It's hard to go into a new situation with new players and new teammates and new playbooks and new staff, etc. It's hard for coaches. It's hard for players. That's why coaches... Are, I mean, hardly ever are they fired after a year. Okay, These coaches will all last a year or two as far as I'm concerned because 
People know it takes time to build something. It takes that time for Cam too. It takes time in a normal year to get things going and get things materializing in a proper direction. I feel bad for Cam that he hasn't been given that. And I know there are people out there listening saying, oh, Brady, quit whining. You're making him excuses. Suck it up, buttercup. I get it. I understand we're all dealt with adversity. We all got to try to make it work. But we wanted to see, as Patriot fans, if Cam Newton could be the future of this organization, the guy to take the reins from Tom Brady and move it forward for a couple of years. We still don't know the answer because of all this stuff that has happened to 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 the world with the pandemic, to him with the COVID diagnosis, and him signing late. He is at a disadvantage. We still don't know the answers because of what has happened to him. Continuing on with our uh, with our Bob Sosi takeaways, I want to get to to this one. Um, Bob was talking about the Patriots' inability to close out some drives and. On two on a Sunday against Houston, so I want to see. Let me see, guys. I got to find this. Um, all right, we don't have the cut exactly. It looks like, but Bob was talking about the Patriots' inability to close out drives and how the Patriots had a couple of long drives that didn't result in points. And the, the, their last two drives, before the you know their last three drives, I guess they had the ball for like thirteen plus minutes and ended up with three points. This goes to exactly what we talked about a couple weeks ago in the Daily Dose of Doug when we talked with Flutie. The Patriots can be a team that plays with a formula, but their margin of error is very, very slim. Okay, Everything for New England needs to be a grinded-out drive, it feels like. Look, 10 plays, 84 yards, and a touchdown. 10 plays, 45 yards, and a field goal. Seven plays, 82 yards, and a touchdown. That was the quick one. That was the Demir Bird touchdown. So that's the one that they kind of scored quickly. 16 plays, 65 yards, a field goal, a 10-minute drive. 11 plays, 51 yards, turn it over on down. You see the theme there? 10 plays, 10 plays, 16 plays, 11 plays. Grinded out drives. When you convert with touchdowns, when you convert in the red zone, you can win games like that, like they did against Baltimore. When it becomes you kick field goals, as they did twice, and when it becomes a turnover on downs like they did in the fourth quarter, you're running out of possessions there. You get three, Deshaun Watson comes down and gets seven, and that's the difference. That is the difference in the game when you think about this. And and I'm taping a, a podcast with Flutie tonight, and I'm going to ask him this question. He's right. The formula says the Patriots can win, but they have to convert in the red zone. If they don't convert touchdowns, they're going to be in and have their backs against the wall. 10 plays, 45 yards of field goal, and 16 plays, 65 yards of field goal, that's unacceptable. You have to convert those into touchdowns. And for as good as Nick Folk has been this season, I need less Nick Folk and more touchdowns, more red zone conversions. That's what the Patriots need to do. It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. That margin for error, it's razor thin, especially if your defense is going to get gashed like theirs did on Sunday. You get three or zero, Deshaun Watson comes down and gets seven. And with that came a double-digit lead where the, the Texans are at one point up 21-10. to 10. All right, moving on here 
The weekend is over, but still some things on my mind that have me frustrated, so we do it every single Tuesday. It's the This Makes Me Want to Drink segment. This weekend is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Thank God I'm exhausted. But after seeing this, I better crack open another. It's time for This Makes Me Want to Drink. All right, This Makes Me Want to Drink, the... uh, the Rex Burkhead injury is just devastating. It's a torn ACL. He didn't, it's not confirmed yet, but we know that's what it is. He confirmed on social media he's going to be out for the season, says he's looking forward to coming back in 2021. I am also, I am also emotional and soft in this regard. I told you at the beginning of the show I'm an emotional fan. I think about sen- things like sentimentality. I also simply feel for the athlete in this case. I don't look at Rex Burkhead as just an asset for New England or just a cog in the machine. I think about Rex Burkhead's life, and I feel bad for him in this case. Rex Burkhead's a running back who's 30 years old. Most running backs are out of the league by 30. He's going to come back. He's going to be 31. He's going to be a year older. He's going to come back likely slower. He got injured in November, so I don't even know that that guarantees he's ready by training camp in August. So, I mean, this could spell the end of his career or at least the end of the productive portion of his career. And I feel bad for that. Okay, I feel awful for Joe Burrow that he that he tore his ACL. That's a devastating injury. He's going to have time to rewrite his script. It doesn't make it any easier, but he's going to have a decade plus still to play. Rex Burkhead, he might not play again. And he had found a home in New England where he had turned into a productive player. Overlooked in Cincy, a productive player for the Patriots who could run hard, catch the ball out of the backfield, be a component on third down, good team guy, didn't have an ego, played special teams, was willing to just do his job, famously as the Patriots say. Scored the game-winning touchdown in the AFC Championship game a couple of years ago when the Pats ultimately went on to win the Super Bowl against the Rams. It was his touchdown, leaping over the pile against the Kansas City Chiefs that beat Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead. He's created some real good memories in Foxborough. I hope that this injury doesn't cause it to doesn't cause it to end. Because he certainly is is a guy who I'm gonna remember fondly in Foxborough. I hope he's back, but this also could effectively end his career, and that's why it makes me want to drink. Um this this it the only thing you can point to out of this Burkhead injury, the team gets worse with him not playing. There's no doubt about it. And the team also becomes a lot more predictable. Generally, when Damian Harris is in the game, they run. And when James White is in the game, he's a threat to catch the ball out of the backfield. Burkhead was the only guy that could really do both. The only benefit you could look at now because of this is that Sony Michelle is going to get on the field. And at 4-6, and six, as you enter the evaluation portion of your team, we all hope that maybe, just maybe, freak things happen they hang around the playoff race. It looks unlikely, but maybe. But as you enter the evaluation portion of your team and of your season, Sony Michelle, you, you talk about getting the answer on Cam. You got to get the answer on Michelle. It's been two and a half years here. Right now, I have the answer, and right now, he's not good enough. But he's going to get on the field because Burkhead's hurt, and he better do something with it. He's going to have the opportunity he might not have otherwise because this team with Burkhead, White, and Harris, that was a full backfield. And Sonny Michel didn't really need to be a part of it. Now he's going to get to, and he better do something with it because he's. You talk about Burkhead's career could maybe be over. Sonny Michel's career won't be over 
if it doesn't work out in Foxborough because he'll still be young and he's got the first round pick attached to him, the pedigree. But I mean, he's really cruising for if he doesn't turn in something good here these last six games, he could find himself way down on the depth chart in New England or somewhere else. So I'm devastated for Burkhead. I've met him personally. He's a great guy. Nobody has bad things to say about him. Did everything for the team, special teams, block kicks, you know, run through people, run around people, catch passes, line up outside. Didn't matter. Burkhead was willing to do everything. The only benefit is now we get to see Sony Michelle again and see if he's a guy you want to hold on to beyond his initial rookie contract. It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. And we come back, daily dose of Doug, but also one former NFL quarterback talking about Cam Newton in a way that I'm not sure is appropriate right now. That's coming up next on WDEV. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down. Caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll get to Daily Dose of Doug momentarily. Reminder, tomorrow we'll have a complete pre-Thanksgiving hodgepodge show. A little bit of everything, and I'm pumped to do that too. A lot of Celtics stuff, Gordon Hayward's decision to leave, Jason Tatum's extension, Red Sox rumors, news notes, a lot of that. There are a little less Patriots tomorrow and a little more everything else. Also some local stuff on UVM. So uh, Daily Dose of Doug coming here in a couple of minutes. We'll talk to Flutie tonight. Him and I are recording a new podcast. I'll have a whole bunch of new audio coming in the subsequent days and uh, into next week as well. But first, Boomer Esiason played football for a long time, right? Very good college quarterback. Very good NFL quarterback. Bengals, Jets, now an analyst at CBS. And he's very, very smart. I don't think he did a very smart thing yesterday. He was talking on WEEI in Boston. He was talking about Cam Newton. And he had this to say about Cam's attitude. I, I still say it. You know, it's a battle back and forth with Cam. He's not totally confident, but yet when he does do good things and he does win, uh, you see the flamboyance that he has. But I also think that when he loses, man, he is down. I, I, I We're all down when you lose. But, man, he goes through the extremes where I really feel about I worry about his mental uh, state of mind he's at with, with himself physically. And uh, only he knows that, but I, I just see a, a guy that really gets down on himself when his, team's lo- when his team loses. I think it sounds innocent enough when you play it back in real time, but when you listen to it again, and he talks about kind of calling out Cam Newton's mental state, I think that's an irresponsible way to talk. And I'm speaking a little slower on it because I want to make sure that I'm conveying it right. At a time in society where we are so sensitive to mental health and to mental um, people's feelings and people's emotions, I think it's irresponsible for Boomer Esiason to be speculating on Cam Newton's mental health and saying things like he's worried about it. I, I still say it. You know, it's a battle back and forth with Cam. He's not totally confident, but yet when he does do good things and he does win, uh, you see the flamboyance that he has. But I also think that when he loses – Man, he is down. I, 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 we're all down when you lose, but man, he goes through the extremes where I really, I about, I worry about his mental uh, state of mind. He's at with. 
I worry about his mental state of mind. That's that's really what gets me. I do not think it's a problem to talk about Cam's emotions. I do think it's fair to say, is Cam Newton too emotional a player? We've had that talk before. Flutie and I have had that talk before. Okay, Cam rides the highs, and he does get down. I think it's fair to say, would Cam be better off served being a little more neutral, a little more um, level-headed on things? I think that's fair. Okay, we talk about quarterback position being a CEO type, being a, a guy who's supposed to always be in control. We're often critical of players who are too emotional, whether that's hot-headed, excitable, um, they can lose control. Like Baker Mayfield gets grief for being too hot-headed. Johnny Manziel got grief for being too emotional, too arrogant. Um, Tom Brady's attitude gets called into question sometimes when he gets too hopped up and he's yelling at everybody. We talk a lot about quarterbacks' emotions and trying to remain centered. What what is irresponsible to me there on the part of Esiason is using the words mental, you know, mental state of mind. At this point in time in society, it doesn't feel right to throw that around in such a cavalier way. And maybe I'm being a millennial, and maybe I'm being soft, and you can tweet me at WDEV Radio Brady, but that's how I feel about that. When he said the words mental state of mind, that triggered with me, you know what, that's not okay. Fair to talk about emotions, fair to talk about style of play, but to bring up Cam's mental state of mind did not seem right to me. I mean, the the other thing that kind of got me about the whole thing is – he says, I'm not quite sure where Cam is at. I think Cam has done a pretty good job this year at being invested. I think he cares. I don't think the pandemic helps anybody's emotions, right? Cut off from family, isolated, can't go out with the guys. Everything there has been tougher for players. I would agree that emotionally this is a tough year on all people and all players. But Cam has done a pretty good job at being invested. He continues to say the right things at every turn. He continues to have the right attitude. He's being honest, and I appreciate his honesty when he says things like, I'm overthinking, or that he has struggled with confidence at at times this year. I appreciate his honesty. Talking about mental health feels out of bounds to me. And I also think what Esiason is saying is partly the result of something that we have all created. We, the media, and we, the traditional NFL fan. What I mean by that is we have created a situation where we want our athletes to care so much about their sport. We want them to love their sport and almost nothing else because we say, oh boy, if he's got other interests, then he's not all in, and we don't want guys that aren't all in. When Cam doesn't play well, what's the first thing that happens? His fashion gets called into it. Hey, a little less time in the in the dressing room, a little more time in the, in the playbook, Cam. Jeff Garcia, former NFL quarterback, criticized Cam's fashion sense. You're going to dress like that, and then you're going to come out and play like that? Hey, Josh Rosen when you know, has ended up being a bust in the NFL, but the biggest issue for him coming out of the draft was this guy's got too many other interests. He may not really love football. We have created a culture where we want the athlete to be down when they lose. Okay, I hear Cam talk after games, and I'm like, yeah, he sounds down. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, that shows he cares. That has satisfied my requirement for the athlete to care. And I think we have created that in a negative way. We all want our athletes to be invested. 
because we care as fans. We want them to be invested. We don't want to think that they're not doing everything they can to win. Well, the result of that, when you have guys like Tom Brady who are so committed and so invested and so over the top with their preparation, the flip side of that is when it doesn't go your way, you're equally as emotional in the other direction. You're equally equally as committed in the other direction. I think a lot of people would be happy to hear Cam get down and talk negatively because that's what we expect. And I don't think that that's right as fans. I don't think that that's right as media members. We've gotten so concerned with making sure that the athlete cares and that the athlete is invested that we've forgotten real human emotions are at play here. We shouldn't want to see athletes down. Look, I get it. The last thing I want to see when you're getting beat 37 to nothing is people laughing on the sideline. 100% that's the last thing that I want to see. But we've created a culture where we want people to be down and be emotional and come off in the way that Boomer Esiason is worried about you. And I think it's an interesting phenomenon. I'll be interested in talking with Flutie a little bit more about that this week. As for a daily dose of Doug, he talked to me recently about playing in cold weather. And it was specific to the Ravens and Patriots game from last week. Cold, rainy weather, what it takes to play in the elements. Here's what he said, and I'll tell you why I'm bringing it back now. When Bill decides these days of the week we're practicing outside, you're practicing outside. Because whatever the weather is, none of, and all, everyone has these beautiful indoor facilities, right? Yeah. And you could just go inside. You, there's a mindset to it. You've got to get not that you got to get used to the actual conditions. You got to condition your mind to deal with it. The reason why I bring that up is because we're going to learn a lot about the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday against the Pats. Can, um, Flutie talks about a mindset and being tough enough to overcome things. We're going to learn a lot about the toughness of the Cardinals. It's going to be 50 degrees, so it's not going to be freezing. But when you play in the big toaster in Arizona and it's not 80, that'll be a difference, right? Kyler Murray's from Texas. He played his ball at Oklahoma. He didn't. He doesn't usually play in 50 degrees with some wind and some elements. So the weather working against New or working against Arizona. Arizona is a quick strike, fast track offense. Does lightning run on ice? Does lightning run on frost? We'll see that on Sunday. It's the 3,000 miles traveling east game. We always hear the dreaded West Coast team traveling east for the 1 o'clock time slot. And if you're not named Russell Wilson, you can often fall victim to, to that um, way of thinking. Remember Jared? The Rams look great, right? Remember Jared Goff and the Rams a couple of weeks ago in Miami getting absolutely whitewashed? That's the same thing. A good team traveling east, 1 o'clock time slot, got embarrassed. The Cardinals are better than the Patriots. They're talent-wise better than New England. But can they have the mindset? Can they have the mental toughness to travel east to come off a loss against Seattle, a divisional loss? That's a tough loss that Arizona just took. Can they have the toughness to come off a loss, travel east, play at 1 o'clock in some potential elements or at least different weather than they're used to playing? I mean, they already lost to Carolina when having to travel east, and Carolina's nowhere near as good as them. But they played down to their competition. Okay, The Cardinals have played down to their competition multiple times this year. They, lo- they, they have lost to Detroit and Carolina. They're much better than both of those teams. And remember, it's Thanksgiving week. 
that causes a disjointed NFL schedule. Practices disrupted, shorter here, family time there. Travel schedules are off. The routine is thrown off. We're going to learn a lot about Arizona this week, and I think the mindset's going to be part of it. Are they tough enough to overcome all the obstacles in their way? The Thanksgiving week, the different weather. Kyler Murray's got the shoulder injury. He didn't look the same against Seattle. You're coming off a loss. The division now is separating from you. Seattle's ahead of you. The Rams are ahead of you. You need a win. Can you do all of that while coming 3,000 miles east and playing at 1 o'clock? That's, that's going to be very interesting. It's going to be telling what happens with the Cardinals this upcoming uh, this upcoming Sunday. Remember, we have it for you at 10 o'clock with the pregame show, 1 o'clock with the kickoff right here on WDEV. All right, we do it every single day on the Brady Farkas Show. Let's get to crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right, in the crosshairs today is ESPN's Carolina Panthers writer David Newton writing about former Panthers quarterback Cam Newton. He says, Teddy Bridgewater has handled the transition with class and dignity and has shown that he is more than worthy of replacing the best quarterback and maybe the best player in franchise history. Bridgewater has shown you can perform at a high level and be humble and fun-loving without being the center of attention as Newton was often because of his celebrity status. Unnecessary to take a shot at Cam like that right now. Okay, Cam Newton was everything for a long time to the Carolina Panthers. He's not in Carolina anymore. To kick him now, I mean, he's not even, you're talking six months of him not being in Carolina, seven months of him not being in Carolina. To go at him now and throw in that he was off in the center of attention, like if you want to compliment Bridgewater and say that he's done a satisfactory job replacing the franchise icon, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But to throw a shot at Cam it's just unnecessary. It's unnecessary if anybody threw a shot at Brady now that he's gone from New England. It's unnecessary for people in Carolina to throw a shot at Cam. And that celebrity status, by the way, of his helped in an awful lot of ways in Carolina. It helped on the field. The team was relevant and they were winning. They got to a Super Bowl. It created jersey sales, merchandise sales, ticket sales. People came to Carolina to watch Cam and Cam only. That was the whole reason to go to Panthers games. People wanted to see what Cam would do. It helped in his charity work, of which he did an immense amount of it. That celebrity status propelled him and his charity work to new heights and helped people all around the Charlotte area. And by the way, David Newton, ESPN writer, like who was the quarterback in Carolina before Cam Newton? Derek Anderson? Matt Moore? Steve Berline? Like how far back do we have to go to get to Jake Delhomme, who's somebody else that anyone's ever heard of? Like, that celebrity status made Panthers football relevant. Because in my mind, there's three quarterbacks in Panthers history. There's Kerry Collins at the beginning, there's Jake DeLome in the middle, and then there's Cam Newton. And if you're going to give me uh, Derek Anderson, Matt Moore, Steve Berline, Rodney Pete, like, these are the other options for the Carolina Panthers. I think the celebrity status that Cam brought to the brought to the area, I think it helped way more than it hurt. He was, and by the way, if you think he was the center of attention, it wasn't unfounded. Young, rich, the MVP, franchise icon, number one pick. He knew it. It wasn't unjust. You might not have liked it, but it's not unjustified. So 
Bridgewater's a fine player. He's done a fine job. They're three and seven, but he's played generally okay. He's actually two and seven. PJ Walker won the other day, but he's done fine. If you want to compliment him, that's one thing. But throwing shade at the franchise icon, it sounds like there's some kind of personal beef there or something, and you just need to let it go because Cam Newton was everything to that franchise and needs to be treated as such here on the, uh, you know, a couple of months being it. Like, this was a, that was a note about Cam for March. That's not a note for Cam for November when he started eight games for another team, nine games for another team, whatever it is. So it's the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, we'll see exactly what I got time for. Closing thoughts might run a little bit long, so we may just end up with that. That's next, a local news note on uh, high school sports. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I'm going to skip what are they saying and who's saying what. I'm going to skip that because uh, I got something actually pretty long I want to do on that. I might find a way to get that in tomorrow. Um, I want to really finish out the show with my closing thoughts on some local sports news that came out today. Governor Phil Scott announced that Vermont high school winter sports would not be starting on time. They had been scheduled to start on um, they had been scheduled to start on November 30th, at least for practice. Games couldn't start until in early January. But uh, here was Governor Phil Scott today at the governor's news conference. Unfortunately, we'll be postponing the start of school sports, which were set to start November 30th. Like recreational sports, these are paused until further notice. And we'll review it again each week. This isn't unsurprising, but it's still very disappointing. And it's very clear to me upon hearing the governor speak and hearing his team speak that this is in response to Thanksgiving. They are worried. Administrators here are worried that kids with parents will travel for the holiday and then they will go wherever and then they will bring the virus back to their community, to their schools, and then Athletes will go and gather and continue to spread the virus. That is what that is very clear to me what the word I try to not ever make my views known on things politically, whatever. I try to never do that. And I try to not be preachy because who I would only ask this. I hope that people in the community recognize the value of high school sports. And I hope that you look at the virus and look at the situation through that lens for a little while. Kids need this. As someone who has played, as someone who has coached, this is the best time of a lot of people's lives. Getting older causes a lot of great things. Marriage, kids, career, relocation, money. It causes a lot of great things. But being young and being able to play a high school sport is among the best things that you will ever do. I still hang out with some of my high school teammates. I still play fantasy sports with my high school teammates. I still talk to some of my high school teammates. And whenever we get together, those are the memories that we share because there aren't in a whole lot of things in life better than high school sports. There isn't a whole lot of things that bring you together more than high school sports. It's great for the athlete. It's great for the sports part of it, right? It's great just because you love your sport. 
but it also teaches you so many life lessons, teamwork, perseverance, hard work, working towards a common goal. It helps you physically, better shape, weightlifting, running, all of the above. It helps with your social development. It helps with your you know, learning hard lessons about winning and losing. Sports is so valuable in so many ways. It's very clear to me that if Thanksgiving goes poorly and if people do what they're, whatever they're going to do and if numbers get bad, then they're going to fear the exact same thing about Christmas and that is when you will see the entire high school sports winter schedule canceled. And that's what we don't want. That would be devastating. Look, nobody likes what's going on here. Nobody likes being, you know, having to go to school remotely. Nobody likes not being able to go to work all the time. Nobody likes being isolated. Nobody likes wearing a mask. Nobody likes not being able to go to the gym. Nobody, I haven't been to the gym since March. Nobody likes going, not being able to do that stuff. Nobody likes not being, I'm not going home for Thanksgiving either. Nobody likes that. But if following the rules at Thanksgiving gives your kid or the kids of Vermont a chance to play high school sports, just please recognize how important it is. I love sports. I love telling the, the stories of athletes who excel on the field. I love st- telling the stories of athletes who excel on the court, the ice, the field. I've gotten to meet a great amount of them in this state and others. They don't need unnecessary adversity. Let's keep being able to tell those stories. So I'm sorry to come off as preachy, but I look at this not from a political standpoint, not from a ethics standpoint, not from a virus standpoint. I look at it from a, from a person who's 31 years old who not that long ago played college sports and played high school sports, and I know what it did for me. It is a fact that playing high school sports led me to everything good in my life. There is no way that that's not true. Playing sports allowed me the opportunity to meet my best friends. Playing sports allowed me the opportunity to play sports in college, which then allowed me to play, you know, I got my job at my first radio station solely because I had local contacts. The reason I had local contacts is because I played sports. I knew everybody. My brother played sports. I knew people in his grade, his age, athletic directors, coaches. I coached college baseball. I knew everybody in the community. That's the reason I got my first radio job. The only reason. And then when I started getting guests on, I knew people, right? Like I, I, I could get Jimmer Fredette on who I knew and played against. I could get uh, guys from, I grew up in Albany, guys who played in Albany who were getting drafted to Major League Baseball. I knew those guys and I could get them on. I met my girlfriend because I coached college baseball and because she happened to be at a game where I was recruiting at. I've been to the Super Bowl radio row four times. I've met Doug Flutie, or I, you know, I talk with Doug Flutie all the time. Those things don't happen if I don't play sports. Like those are the doors that sports opened up. So when they tell you that they're delaying high school sports, understand it's because they're worried about Thanksgiving. If sports are supposed to start on November 30th and Thanksgiving is November 26th, they are directly worried about us going places and bringing the virus back. So I'm just telling you how important sports is. And as you think about not, you know, or as you think that everything in 2020 stinks as far as what the restrictions are, it all stinks. We get that. But the kids do need sports because sports opens up doors that won't ever get opened otherwise. And it will create memories that will never get created otherwise. So 
I'm not doing what I want to do over Thanksgiving because I want to protect those opportunities for other people and protect those opportunities for athletes in this state because I want them to be able to have the same opportunities and the same experiences that I had because they've created never-ending experiences for me in my life. I've gotten to coach athletes who have gotten drafted to Major League Baseball. I got to coach a baseball team to a state championship and help them create memories for their life, and I got to create memories for mine that will never go away and bonds that will never go away. And if high school sports got taken away from me, even for one year, some of that stuff just doesn't happen. So I hope we see high school sports, and I hope we all contribute to high school sports happening. That's probably the only time I'll ever be preachy on this show, but today felt like it called for it. The show is sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Brady Farkas Show podcast, Apple Podcasts, conversation, and those three losses have, have, have probably squandered it. I think they're going to go. I think they're going to beat Arizona still this week. 